Welcome to the Swike Podcast, the only podcast that shares the stuff you didn't know you needed to know about jobs, careers, and life. The Swike Podcast, the stuff I wish I knew earlier. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Swike Stuff I Wish I Knew Earlier podcast. We're here with uh, guest host uh, Anita Agarwal, and uh, she comes to us with a background in entrepreneurship, and she also teaches at one of the local colleges. So, uh, Anita, if you can share a little bit about what you're doing now, and then we'll get into the backstory of what you were like as a kid and, and, and certain milestones and things of interest as you were growing up. All right. Uh, thank you so much for having me, Luki. So I actually run this company Um, Jewels Forever. It's a brand um, that I work with with my mom. We've been in business for 30 years. We manufacture gemstone jewelry right here in Canada, which is pretty rare because as you know, like there's a competitive global market for production in actually manufacturing. So we're really proud to be a Canadian brand. Um, Yeah. And we sell to 20 countries globally and a lot of corporations like Walmart Online and uh, MasterCard and visa and loyalty programs. So you might have seen our stuff in uh, various places online. So yes, and I also teach with Lukey at Centennial College in the Faculty of Business. So thank you. <laughs> That's perfect. So uh, I'd love it if we kind of step back uh, a couple of years and, and let us know what was Anita like as a kid? So what was she like growing up? Maybe if you have an early fond memory that, that you had, uh, and then some of the influences. So, so you mentioned you started the business with, it, with your mom. So uh, how did all of that uh, take shape? Yeah, so I actually, um, as a kid, I was really, really shy and very quiet. And then um, my mom's aunt, my mom had a really bad car accident uh, when I was nine years old. And my mom's aunt came from India to um, help out around the house and like to take care of my mom while she was recovering, because it was a really brutal car accident. And the cool thing about her was that she was like a generalist. She was an artist, um, an oil painter, a well known oil painter. She was into yoga, she was into cooking, she had all these interesting but she also followed politics and she was a very interesting person. And so from this shy, quiet person, I had this amazing interaction with this woman who was like so diverse in her experiences. And I really admired her for it. And um, I adopted to and aspired to be like her. And so what happened was I ended up switching schools um, the very next year. And I realized that, you know what, when you switch schools, especially at a young age, or if you're just entering college. It's an opportunity to change who you are. It's a fresh start. And um, from the shy, quiet person, I became this very outspoken person. I ended up being the president of the school in grade six. And um, so I completely did this, you know, 180, where I was a totally different person. I was involved in all these extracurricular activities. But it just, I think that for me, one of the swicks from that is that, you know what, um, things change in your life. And there's never too late to change your behaviors and your patterns and allow for yourself to grow and learn new things. So can you walk us through that? Uh, I guess that year in the new school, right? So somehow, I guess, over the summer, you, you made a decision, okay, I'm going to be this totally new Anita, right? This uh, 180 opposite uh, of yourself. Uh, what was that 
that experience like? So was there any like conscious preparation before you started school or like the first couple of days, first couple of weeks? What, what, what does that sound like? Because I think yeah. that that's great to aspirationally do, but uh, like it's, it's kind of one of those easier said than done <laughs> ones. So, so if you can yeah. give us some tips on, on what might have helped you along the way, I think that would be helpful. Well, I think that um, there was a couple of things. It was the fragility of seeing my mom being so sick because she had broken like all these ribs. She'd broken her ankles and her knees. Like it was a really bad accident. So I think it was like realizing, okay, well, you got to harness the power of now. Right. Mm. But it was also interacting with this aunt over that summer and realizing that, you know what, um, there's such beauty and in, in learning about different things. And I really wanted to emulate that and be that for myself, because I think at some point I realized, you know what, it was it wasn't serving me to be um, reclusive and quiet. I wasn't really enjoying my life that way. Like I was shy to the point of like, I had no friends. Mm. And so when I moved schools, I realized, you know what, this is an opportunity. And I really wanted to do that because, um, so I, I did make a conscious effort. And I think that's the thing is when you want to do something, you have to realize what your shortcomings are in the previous way of what you're doing. And also looking at models that you want to emulate to change yourself. So I think that, um, you know, our personalities are fluid, our behaviors are fluid, you can learn new behaviors, you can accommodate, you can adapt. And that's always going to be um, you know, every day is a new day to, to change who you are. So I, th I think that you have to make that conscious effort, though. So cool. that is a good point. And would you mind taking us through kind of the, the first few days, weeks? Was it just an automatic shift and like you're, you're done and, and like I'm now this new person? Or was there a lot of people go through like imposter syndrome and things like that? Uh, and, and then how do you deal with those types of things if, if, if you encounter them? You know, it was so long ago, um, but <laughs> I, I think that it was gradual. Like it was yeah. a gradual process because, I mean, when you start something new, it's scary and you don't really know how to navigate it. But then I was really lucky because I ended up making some friends and then you take it from there. And then um, I learned that I had this real big passion for sports, which I wasn't aware of in my previous school. And so I started getting involved in like playing soccer after school and getting involved in like the soccer team and like learning how to play volleyball. And I realized, you know what, there's such great sports is such a great vehicle as is any association or organization where you're working in a team. It's such a great vehicle to interact with new people, to learn new skills, to expand your own personality and horizons. But I think that I've followed that throughout my life and my career, getting involved in groups and organizations, whether that's sports or business associations or not-for-profit boards. Um, I think that's a consistent factor is working with other people. How do you get involved? And, and what I took from that is as early as you can, even, even at nine years old, uh, get involved in something where you can interact with people. Uh, teams, uh, be it sports or, or anything in, in student council or, or extracurriculars. I think that's an important part to uh, kind of see where, where you can uh, put yourself out in, into the world. But uh, yeah, so, so now that you're the, this new person and uh, walk us through kind of, um, I guess, high school, university. So what were the thoughts in terms of like what you wanted to do? Uh, how, how did the business kind of start up? And it was that always in the works or was there were there other career paths where I mean, the typical Asian thing, you have to become a doctor, a lawyer, accountant, engineer, like, was that something in, in, in your plan yes. as well? 
<laughs> totally. Oh my God. Uh, Lukey, no, I was supposed to be a doctor. Oh my God. Okay. I was, uh, so in high school, I all, I reverted again. I actually ended up being quite quiet and shy again because I moved again to a different city in a different school in Quebec. And I was probably one of maybe two or three South Asians at that okay. school. So it was an all white school. Um, it was a very small town, 28,000 people. So um, I think that's one factor that uh, I, I think we take for granted living in Toronto, mm. the diversity of it. But when you grow up in a small town, you do end up, you know, subconsciously, everybody has that bias and you end up being a little reclusive and a little alone. So um, I did revert to that, but I did continue with joining the organizations. I was on yearbook committee and drama club and stuff like that. So that's, I can't emphasize the importance of joining those kind of organizations. Um, and then further to your question. So I was a pretty good student throughout and my parents were adamant, adamant that I was going to be a doctor because <laughs> I was a good student and they had that expectation. And then I went to U of T okay. and I did my undergrad in life science and uh, no, <laughs> it was like, it wasn't going to happen. I was like, I was a disappointment. It was not going to happen. And then I discovered anthropology. Okay. So the other thing is that um, growing up, I always, uh, you know, Indiana Jones, right? So he's this archaeologist. And I think I always kind of wanted to get into archaeology, anthropology. And so when I was at U of T, I took some extra correct, you know, extra elective courses in anthropology. And it turned out that I loved that way more. Mm -hmm. That was totally unsatisfactory to both my parents. Um, ended up like moonlighting, taking these extra courses and then ended up doing a double major. So ended up doing anthropology. Um, and so after I graduated, I had no idea what I was going to do. There was no way I was going to be a doctor with my GPA. Right. There was absolutely no way. And uh, that was a big disappointment to my parents. And so then I had like, as you know, as any Asian parents, I think do, they consult the community, right. they go out and they talk to people and they're like, Oh, well, you know, this friend of ours told us about this program at Centennial College. And I ended up actually taking this e commerce diploma for right. one year postgraduate diploma at Centennial in 2000. So I graduated in 2000 from a specialist in biology, a major in anthropology and a minor in history. Right. And with all of that, I mean, there was, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. And I think that's, that's a very common thing. I think a lot of people, especially if you're pressured into doing something you don't really like to do, you're going to find yourself in a situation where you have, you lack support um, about what you want, what it is that you want to do. And um, you lack clarity and focus because you don't have the right mentors in place to give you that information. But then I ended up going to Centennial doing this one year program. And I was really fortunate because I I actually enjoyed the program a lot and I didn't realize that I liked doing business and I didn't realize that I liked doing, you know, working in technology and uh, what I, I discovered so much about myself in that program. And then I worked um, as a project manager in an IT company for a while and uh, lost my job as one does in the early twenties. And, uh, <laughs> 
realized because my parents had started this business in 91, realized that I could take that learning and actually create a website for my parents. So we were one of the first few uh, wholesale businesses to have a fully functioning e-commerce website Mm. in the early 2000s, you know. So I guess that's another thing that I would say in terms of this spike is to say that, you know what? Um, things that you learn, bits and pieces that you learn from different things can always be useful and applicable to future endeavors. And so my taking and my knowledge from Centennial was very useful to me in my business. Sounds like one of those uh, Steve Jobs quotes where he says like, you you can't connect the, you can only connect the dots when looking back, uh, but not as you're kind of going through the process. So um, sounds like an an amazing journey. So walk us through a little bit about um, now you're, you're, uh, having a diploma with, with experience with e-commerce and stuff like that. And you're, and you're building that, that website, uh, uh, fully functional and all that sort of stuff. Uh, were you kind of the technical type where you were actually coding it or were there other people involved or what, what is that process like? So I, I did learn how to code at Centennial. I did like the coding, but, um, the e-commerce capabilities were beyond my scope of coding. So the nice thing is, and I think that, um, there is a huge value in being somebody who understands how businesses operate, but isn't the technical expert. So the nice thing is you can communicate the vision that you see and you can say, this is what I want. This is how I want it. This is how a user might interact with an interface. And then you can work with somebody who has the technical expertise to bring that vision to life because you do need that, um, you know, marriage between those two skill sets to actually work with something that is going to be user facing. So yeah, I think that that's uh, one note where a lot of folks uh, I interact with, they're not technical, they, they have these amazing ideas, but they always assume that, well, I have to learn to code in order to do it. So so it speaks to a little bit about, well, as long as you have the vision, and then that's, and you're clear at what you want, uh, then you can always find someone to, to help you build it. It, it might cost some money, <laughs> uh, yes. but you, uh, either that or, or you have to be good at evangelizing or, or um, uh, kind of convincing them to, to uh, put in the sweat equity or whatever. Um, but it's probably worthwhile and, and your idea can come to uh to come to fruition, I guess. Yeah. It's amazing because like, I mean, who would have known that like 15 years later, we'd have things like Shopify and big mm-hmm. commerce and, you know, ready-made platforms because that time everything was hard coded. Right. So. Yeah. so. So walk us through a little bit about uh, now working with mom and dad, right? So you have this website coded, this business being built, like what is it like uh, with, with mom and dad as well, they're your parents and your bosses, like in, in, in life and in business. So how does that work? And then eventually, uh, my understanding is, is you're, you're now leading the, the, the business. So how does that transition happen? So, I mean, this is the other thing is that there's always ups and downs, right? So I worked with my parents for a few years and then I realized my dad and I had a big disagreement mm-hmm. because he decided to take off product numbers. And we have a catalog of 10,000 SKUs. And he decided he no longer wanted product numbers. And I had this mass, I know, I know you're looking at me like, what are you talking about? Massive disagreement. And uh, I decided to quit. So I quit. So this is like 2005. And I'm like, that's it. I'm done. We can't agree on this. And I'd saved a bit of money at that point and decided to go do my master's in social anthropology. And so I did my master's in social anthropology 
Fiji, moved to Ottawa, uh, studied there, ended up getting a scholarship, interned at the Status of Women Canada, and really enjoyed the work that I did there. And um, then came back, you know, to Toronto, and ended up working at a few not for profits. And then my parents really wanted me to come back and work for them. So I started working for them part time. But then life happens, uh, Lukey, life happens. And in 2010, my parents got divorced. And so my mom's like, well, look, you know what, I have this company and because my mom started it. So she's like, you know, what do you want me to do? And I'm like, okay, I'll come work with you full time. But uh, that was so that's the thing is sometimes, you know, things happen in your path. And you end up taking those opportunities. However, because I am kind of autodidactic and I do like to like try different things and I'm a polymath, I decided to also continue my work in the not-for-profit sector. Mm -hmm. So I worked as a consultant with the federal government for the Canada Council for the Arts because I'd also had a lot of years of experience volunteering in the arts. So that kind of led me to the second career. And so here I am, you know, 2021. And since I was 16, I've always had a second career. So before we actually called these things side hustles, <laughs> I've always had a side hustle because I just like to keep myself engaged and motivated and uh, always learning new things. And so I, I guess my next uh, swike would be this, is that in a world where you're forced to constantly be a specialist in something, where you're told, you know what, you should specialize in data analytics, or you should specialize in HR, or you should specialize as a career um, specialist, or you should do an MBA in, you know, entertainment, you know, you can be a generalist. It's okay to be a generalist. I think there's there's such a pressure on young people to choose this one path. And the reality is sometimes you'll just end up having opportunities and you know your path to success or your career path is going to be all sorts of weird turns and like um, you know cycles and directions. It doesn't have to be linear. And uh, that might not work for everyone. Some people do prefer being specialists. But if you're a generalist and you know, you can be 43 like I am and still not know what you're doing and still just go with the flow and try to take opportunities as they come. So I think one of the things that has helped me, so I, I feel that I'm kind of in, in that realm where um, I, I uh, jack of all trades, master of none, that sort of uh, thing. Um, but what I found is oftentimes there's an underlying, um, but it's, it's one of those kind of like soft skills where it's not I'm a e-commerce expert, but uh, I, I'm good at uh, figuring out problems and making very simple for people to understand, right? Now, by taking that, I can do consulting, I can do career coaching, I can do pretty much anything. So if you can find what that thing that you probably are good at, but you just don't give yourself credit for, for whatever that special is, then you're, you're probably a, a specialist, but it can be applied to so many different areas that you be, end up being a generalist. So uh, it, it's kind of the, the best of both worlds too. Or sometimes you just enjoy learning and, and sometimes that's what you're good at. You're just learn at, good at figuring stuff out. Right? Um, so so yeah. don't overlook that as well. Yeah. And I think that's a really good point that you bring up is that there's undercurrents or um, commonalities Mm -hmm. between all the things that you do. So like you mentioned, um, being a consultant, working in careers, um, you know, doing coaching, there's an undercurrent between all of those. Likewise with me, um, 
So I'm the CEO of my company. I also did a bit of consulting and I've also done teaching. And there's a commonality between all those, right? We, um, we underestimate the amount of transferable skills there are between careers. So I like to problem solve. I like to find solutions to things. And I think that works well, both in teaching, consulting, as well as being a small business owner. You know, problem solving is something that's common to all of them. And I was watching uh, a, a YouTube video by uh, Simon Sinek, right? And then oftentimes people talk about uh, soft skills, transferable skills, and, and all that. And I like the way that he relabeled them as, as human skills, right? Those, these are things that are just uh, needed to be successful as a human being, like uh, time management, uh, organization, effective communication, like building relationships, right? Like there's very few people in the world that can't get around or, or can't be successful without developing those things. So just because they're, they're, they're soft in that they're, they're intangible or they're context specific doesn't mean that they're not important. So I, I think that relabeling them into to human skills is, um, has, has been very helpful for me. Um, but yeah, so uh, could you, could you talk, tell us a little bit about uh, your foray into teaching, right? So that you mentioned that as, a, as a, another, like a side hustle <laughs> that you're doing yeah. as well. How did yeah. that come about? Were you always interested in that area? I, um, I really was curious about teaching. I always wanted to teach. Um, when I was doing my master's, I got to be a TA, mm -hmm. which I absolutely loved. And the story of how I got into teaching is almost the story of how I got into anything else that I've ever done. And what it was, was I was actually at a networking event and I'd given a prize donation of a pair of earrings. And the woman who won that, um, she was actually a professor at Centennial. Mm -hmm. And so what she did was she Googled me and she's like, oh, I noticed that you had won this award in 2010 for being one of the top one, women entrepreneurs in Canada. And then in 2012, you won this award for being this exporter of the year award. So I was wondering, could you come in and talk about entrepreneurship to my class? And so I go into this class this is my first time doing a guest speaking um, invitation. And I had such an amazing time. And what ended up happening was I had like more than 40 students ask me questions. And on the spot, um, it was Julie. She's like, you know, have you ever thought about teaching? Like, you seem like you're a natural at it. And you seem like you'd be good. And, you know, have you thought about it? And I'm like, that's like my dream job. And I'm like, I would love to teach. And so she's like, you know what, why don't you try out one semester? Why don't you come in and teach for one semester and try out one course to see if you like it? Uh, 34 courses and six and a half years later, 1100 <laughs> students later, here I am uh, enjoying my side hustle. Um, and it really helps me break up my week because here I am, you know, doing the same thing every day, shipping products, making things, stuff like that. And then um, as an extrovert, I, I love interacting with people. And so teaching is, I, I love it. But that's the other thing is that, you know, um, networking can really play such a big part into getting careers. And I think you already know that we advocate for that all the time. And you never know where it's going to lead you. Like I did not expect that I would give away this prize at this event and then end up getting a job out of it. Right? Yeah, I think my, my experience was pretty pretty much the same where, well, a different person, uh, I didn't give away earrings, but I, I was invited to speak at a, at a class and, and a lot of students uh, were, were interested and said, hey, would you want to uh, try, try try that? And uh, apparently I was supposed to have um, 
an interview with with the with the chair uh, but two days before the interview i got an email saying you've just been assigned two sections of this. <laughs> so i was like all right i guess i got the job <laughs> even, even before i had the oh my god that's amazing so, so uh it was definitely um a, a shout out to the power of, of networking and not not just for jobs but just life in general because you, you never know who could uh help you out in, in that right um can, can you walk us through kind of like that that first class right so here you are now you got kind of your, your dream job but I mean, you haven't been taught like the pedagogy of, of, of teaching and all that sort of stuff. You have this curriculum you're given and, and you're supposed to be able to teach it just as well as everybody else. How does, how does that kind of first class feel like? Oh my God, it was, it was kind of hilarious. I couldn't get the <laughs> equipment to work um, no. because I just kind of was thrown into it, right? And um, it was my first day on campus. And so I had to call in the tech person and he's looking at me like, how do you not know how to use this stuff? And then I'm telling the class, I'm like, it's my first day of teaching. And they were all very forgiving. And I'm like, you know, bear with me. We're going to try to have fun. I brought chocolates. I was okay. like, I got to bribe them. So yep. that they, they kind of like me. And uh, yeah, it, it ended up being really fun. And I, I think the thing was that the first few times when you teach, like even the, I would say the up to the second or third semester, I felt like I was still really new at it. And I think that's a normal progression, right? Like they say like six to six months to a year is usually how long it takes for you to get to comfortable and feel good in, in the job that you're working. Right. And, um, guess, uh, like writing all the notes and stuff that was really hard because I, it was a subject that I wasn't, formally familiar with. I mean, I'm familiar with hiring practices. I teach careers at Centennial. I was familiar with hiring practices, having hired people on my own, um, familiar with, you know, public speaking, which is an important skill for teaching. Um, but at the same time, I wasn't as familiar with the subject matter as I am now. So that yeah. was a learning curve. Well, yeah. Uh, definitely, I would agree with the bringing boxes of chocolates, obviously the nut free ones, that sort of thing, because you want to make sure that some <laughs> people have allergies and stuff like that. Um, but that definitely helps uh, for sure. And uh, sometimes folks appreciate whatever timbits or <laughs> whatever you can manage um, can, can help with, with the forgiveness for any times technology or whatever doesn't work your, your way. Um, would you mind sharing a little bit about how um, kind of your, your background in like the anthropology and doing your master's, how, how does that help? Because a lot of this stuff that I find, well, is it's anthropology, it's, it's humans, right? Yes. <laughs> and a, a lot of those interactions are, oh, that's how we evolved and went through that. I, I'd love a little bit of, uh, if you have any of those kind of aha moments uh, as you're kind of learning that material. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, taking a master's program, and it could be at any level, really did prepare me to um, be teaching as well, right? First of all, I had to do TA work, but it helped motivate me to actually do more research and it helps develop your critical thinking skills. Um, anthropology as a subject is because it's all about humans. Like the subject literally means, you know, the study of humans. Right. Uh, you know, I think that it really helps you with almost everything. You could use it for like applying marketing skills. You could use it to understand, you know, human behavior. You can use it to learn how to write properly. Like there's just so much never ending useness for it. And like, I think that's kind of what helped me get my consulting job with the government as well. Right. Because I was able to say, 
well, I can do focus groups. I can help, you know, get information because part of my research was to do an ethnography and writing my thesis paper was to do an ethnography by interviewing people. And so I think that those kind of skills, research skills, learning how to do focus groups, learning how to talk to people, um, all of that comes in handy. So I don't feel like, you know, sometimes people will say, oh, well, you did anthropology. Don't you feel like you wasted your degree and your education? And I have people say that to me. I have people say that about my biology degree as well. And I'm like, not at all, because I think that the, the skills that you develop, those end up being part of you. And um, the knowledge that you gain, it ends up being a part of you. And you do use that whether or not it's in a formal way or whether it's more in like integrating it into your daily activities. So I think that's that's what I would say for the case for education, I guess. (laughs) And and ethnography is uh, like ethnic. So putting people in ethnic groups or what? what? Oh, that's a yes. That's that's a good question. Now, ethnography is um, doing a study that's more like about the stories of people that you've interviewed. So um, it's like a sociologist might look at statistical data, but an anthropologist would look at individual stories. So I went around and interviewed women who had experienced domestic violence and wanted to know how um, they received state support Mm -hmm. um, after they experienced it and what the shortcomings of the state were to um, help them move out of that and to make that transition out of poverty or out of their divorce or out of their abusive situation and where the system fails them. So basically I I got to interview all these women and I got to write their stories and their experiences. And so ethnographies are basically writing a story of experiences of people on the micro level. Gotcha. So, so it's a type of research, but it's more, the research is more kind of like lumping people in a group versus these are more the the individual uh, stories where you really get uh, kind of that storytelling aspect. Yeah, you get the storytelling aspect, the individual experiences. Um, And then you can build, you know, depending on how many subjects you interview, how many people you interview, you can build from the ground up, you know, um, statistical data if you need to. And I think you mentioned uh, that you were part of some boards. Um, yes. Can, can you describe that and, and like how does one get on a board? <laughs> okay. Who are in their career are, are curious and interested in, in, in pursuing that. Uh, so I have to say, um, the single most important thing I think that I've done um, growing up was to volunteer. Whether that was volunteering as a frontline volunteer, just like filling envelopes or like mailing things out, um, or that's on boards. So what a board is, so not-for-profit organizations and even for-profit organizations have this board of directors. And that's a group of maybe, you know, usually 10 or 12 people who make decisions about how to plan for the future of an organization. And so you get to do things like vote on decisions, vote on a budget. So you get to learn how to read budgets. Um, You get to basically work with people who have a common interest in advocating for a common issue or a common 
um, organization. Mm -hmm. So let's say, for example, um, I know that you were on the Scarborough Business Association. Yes. So likewise, um, I've been on the South Asian Visual Arts Collective uh, Center Association, been on the Federation of Metro Tenants Associations, the Organization of Women in International Trade. um, And all of these had a specific focus or a topic that they were concerned about and cared about. And so being on the board of directors, you get to set out that vision, you get to vote on the minutiae of how things operate, but you also feel like you can contribute to something that's bigger than yourself. And your kind of board appointments were, were through networking and through connections, or, or was there another way where well, you just volunteering for so long, you might as well sit in a board? <laughs> how did that work? Yeah, it was interesting. One of them, actually, I applied for a job um, after I had uh, worked in IT because I really liked the arts. And then somebody told me, somebody challenged me. Um, He said, you know what, I hear that you keep on saying you like the arts, but you know, why don't you just go do something in the arts, Anita, instead of just talking about it. And I was like, (laughs) Oh, you know, that that's an idea. And I was really scared. And I think that's what we underestimate. Like I came from a science background, I'd never worked in the arts. And, um, I think that there's always this fear about like how you're going to be in something if you don't have any familiarity with it. Mm-hmm. And I was, I knew that I wouldn't get the job and I didn't know why I wouldn't get the job. So I was applying to be an admin assistant in this arts organization. And I went in for the interview, um, had a panel interview. Um, next day they called me back and they said, you know, we're just gonna be honest with you. We think you're overqualified for the position and we don't want to hire you. However, there is a position on our board that just opened up. Oh. And uh, do you want to be the chair of our board? And I was like, what? <laughs> Wait a second. Like I I'm really young. Like I was, tw- I think 23 or 24 and you're a fully functioning organization. And you want me to be on your chair of your board? And I'm like, I expect to just hear no from you because I don't have any arts experience, but they're like, no, well, you actually were a project manager in a company and you have a business background. We think you'd make a good chair. And that's the other thing I want to say is you never know who is willing to take a chance on you Mm. if you put yourself out there. And I was so lucky that that board appointment allowed me to get amazing mentors in my life who I'm still friends with to this day because people took a chance on me because I put myself out there in a situation that was very uncomfortable for me. You know, I was like, there's no way I have a zero arts background. I don't know how to do anything in the arts. And lo and behold, I joined this organization. Cool. I guess that speaks to uh, what you mentioned about putting yourself out there, right? So if you're interested in it, if you have zero experience, just go for it anyway. Uh, You never know. And then hopefully it'll at least give you some learning in terms of what you can improve for the next time. Or I might get you uh, chair of the board, (laughs) one of the two, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, so, so I think that that's uh, amazing. So thanks for sharing kind of your, your oversight. Are there any other pieces of uh, swipe, the stuff you wish you knew earlier that, that you, you'd want to share? We covered quite a few, but if there are there any that, that come to mind? And then if you don't mind sharing some of your, your future aspirations and, and maybe where, where folks can connect with you? Um, I guess like... I guess I get the big swipe would be that, you know what, you never know um, 
where sometimes your efforts can take you. Like Mm. definitely I've learned over time. I was never a goal setter before. I've definitely become a goal setter now um, for the last 10, 15 years. And you kind of have to do that when you're uh, running a business, you do have to set targets and goals for yourselves. But in terms of opportunities, um, don't, you know, take those risks, take those opportunities, because you really don't know where they're going to lead you. Like, I didn't expect to walk into a classroom like you, Luki, and walk out with a job. You know, that was never my intention. I just wanted to give back. And I think that's the thing is like, when I volunteered for things, when I've been on boards, I've always had some kind of formal paid opportunity out of them, because you never know what opportunities are going to lead you to. But also, you never know how simply being curious and giving back to the community, how that's going to lead you down a different path completely. So you can do both. You can set goals for yourself, but also be open to opportunities. Yeah, I'm, I'm a huge fan of uh, karma in the sense of uh, the, the more you give, the more you receive. So oftentimes, if you start with giving first, uh, so volunteering and doing stuff like that, then eventually the, the universe decides to come back and say, hey, there's this interesting opportunity here. Uh, and, and sometimes um, just putting yourself out there uh, leaves you open to other opportunities that you might not have uh, ever even thought of. So uh, yeah, so if folks are, are interested in, in connecting with, with you or learning more about uh, Jules Forever, like where, where could they reach out and find out a little bit more? Yeah, you can reach me at my email, anita at bbjw.com. So A-N-I-T-A at bbjw.com. Or you can find me on LinkedIn, uh, Anita Agarwal. And uh, my name's right there on the Zoom meeting. So you can see yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> we'll put links in the uh, in the show notes for folks to, to connect with you. And uh, thanks so much for uh, joining us. And uh, hopefully we'll have you back for maybe a deeper dive in, in things on entrepreneurship, e-commerce, or even uh, going from that really shy kid to now you, you call yourself an extrovert. So, so I'd be curious to see how that happened. But thanks so much for, for joining us. Thanks for joining us on the Swike Stuff I Wish I Knew Earlier, the podcast. If you like the podcast, please subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you found this podcast. And if you can give us a review, that would be very appreciated. Feel free to contact me on LinkedIn at Luki Danu, L-U-K-I-D-A-N-U, and the same on most social media platforms. And I look forward to hearing from you. Thanks. Bye.